Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. All right, so if you're new to church, whatever, we're happy to have you today. Uh, my name is Jay Harris. I'm one of the pastors here at the Image Church. Um, we are in the middle of a ride or die in our series called Ride or Die, um, and I'm actually doing a, a part, and I jumped into Philippians 2 last week, and that was called um, To Live For, all right? And um, this is somewhat of a, you, you know, I told, I told him, I said, you know, I told the staff, I was like, man, I'm going to do a part two to that. And, um, and so I thought I was going to jump into this scripture and I was going to actually just continue on going through Philippians 2, but I ended up nowhere near Philippians 2, really. And I just like, I'm going to just kind of take you on this journey that I feel like God has had me on all week with some of the things that came out of last week in Philippians 2. But let me just recap what was in Philippians 2, all right? So what we saw last week was Paul, who planted, Philippians, uh, planted the church in Philippi, Paul is hitting up his church, and he's like, he's encouraging them, and he's saying to them, he's like, listen, um, man, you know, God is doing a lot of stuff or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Y'all, y'all, have, y'all, have, y'all have supported me. I've been in prison. You've been sending me money, putting money on my books, the whole deal. You've been taking care of a brother. God is doing stuff. Even the prison guards up here are getting saved. And he says this to them. He goes, man, he goes, you know what will really bless me? Like if the climate of your church is that this thing is going on, Right? And last week we described it as harmony. We kind of gave an example of if you're jumping rope, you want to make sure you time it just right and jump in so you don't get popped in the head or whatever with the jump rope, right? Then you're in school in the lunchroom the next morning with the line on your head. You got to explain it to everybody. You don't want to do that. So Paul is saying like your church needs to be in harmony. Like if it's in harmony, then I know that God is actually using you for his glory. And he described harmony as this thing where it's this humility that blankets the church where people are actually making other people more significant than themselves. Y'all with me? So that's what he's saying the harmony is. And then he warns them, he says, he says these things right here, he's like selfishness, um, conceit, quarrels, uh, um, quarrels, arguments, these things are actually enemies to this harmony that I'm describing to you, right? And so we went through that right there. And after Paul tells us about that, he goes into an example where he uses Jesus Christ as an example for us, which uh, just crush you or whatever, but I'm going to read it to you, all right? So this is Philippians 2, this is verse 5, and I'm going to read through to 11. And it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God to the Father. So, a couple of things. Matter of fact. So last week, when I read that, I explained to y'all, and this is kind of what has been pressing on me this week, I explained to y'all that, man, I read this and I can't even grasp what this actually means. I get the implications of it, I get the general idea that we serve an amazing God and that he made this amazing sacrifice for us, that he, that, that, that the idea of he, him being God, having equality with the Father, right? He has equality with the Father, he humbles himself and becomes a servant. He takes on the form of a man, 
us, the creation, and then he humbles himself to the point of death. All for the objective of bringing glory through the Father, right? Bringing glory to the Father, redeeming us and saving us. It sounds absolutely amazing. It's the gospel. And it's the gospel that saved me. And if you're believing in here, it's the gospel that saved you. But there's still this part of me that is like, that can't reach high enough to actually understand that and be able to taste what that means. Are y'all tracking with me? It's just too grand, it's too broad, it's too amazing for me to actually fathom that. And so it leaves me kind of in this place where I'm like, to me it points to my brokenness, where I'm like, I can't even grasp what you're saying, which scares me for how lost I'm over here in La La Land somewhere, right? I can't even get my mind to even get what this is even saying on the text. I can get it enough that it makes me cry out for him and beg for more, but it leaves me kind of scared a little bit. So the phrase we left out from this text was, if it's worth Christ dying for, it's worth us living for, right? If it was worth him doing that, for him emptying himself of his divine nature and becoming a man and then ultimately dying, that we could be redeemed, it must be worth us living for, right? As a believer, it's easy for me to make that statement now. I say it, I get it, I can appreciate it, because I understand the implications that go around it. But when I back up from it, it disturbs me a little bit because when I'm saying it, if it's worth him, if it's worth Christ dying, it's worth us living, it's worth us living for, right? It's kind of this thing, like if you just ponder with me, it's kind of like, it's almost like I looked at him and looked at what he did, and I was like, man, that's, that's pretty awesome. I'm gonna actually, I think I'm gonna get on board with this, right? But that's not really how I came to Christ. You know what I'm saying at all? That's not how a lot of us came to Christ. It's not like we just surveyed the land and all of a sudden we decided to be good and follow him. Like, we were, like it says we were dead in our trespasses is what the word says, right? So the fact of the matter is there was this process that really, really happened in there where we at some point saw ourselves, how dead we were, saw our sin, and then that came into this conflict or into a harmony, whatever we want to call it, but it got pressed on by the idea that he's a holy, holy God, right? And that actually began to do something. So y'all get where I'm coming from with that? And so let me just, the, the concept I'm going to be actually preaching today is, it's hard for me to articulate, so y'all going to have to work with me as I go through it, because it's really broad, um, it's a really big concept, and to, to bring it forth to you in the word is going to be kind of hard to do, but... So as I throw pieces in the air, kind of hit them and do the transformer thing, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Get your Rubik's Cube together and work them out. Pray that the Spirit of God helps us do that. All right, so verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so last week, that was the last scripture that we ended on. And so... What I said about this last week when we start talking about the idea of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Number one, I looked all through so many commentaries on this particular scripture and there's about 50 million different commentaries on it. Everybody has a different idea of what this actually means. And, and so last week, I immediately told you, I said, I'm gonna give you what this means for me and what I believe God is actually saying. And so what that is is it's the idea that God is crushing us all the time. And this crushing that he's doing 
is the sanctification process and it produces this fruit out of our lives, right? And it's this constant thing where we are seeing ourselves in our depravity and then the weight of God's holiness, his mercy, his sacrifice, his son on the cross is constantly weighing down on that. And that is pushing out what is the sanctification process. As we walk, or walk in this brokenness, yet we walked in, walk in this idea of being loved beyond imagination. Does that make sense? All right, so a couple years ago, I remember I was watching TV, right? And, um, and so I saw this testimony that came on TV and, 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 and this, it was this guy, he murdered this girl, him and his buddy murdered this girl and they raped her. And in the documentary that I saw, the guy's with his friend and they're going into deep detail of this situation. And it was just blowing my mind because the document, I mean, they, they really spoke into it and it was absolutely horrifying. And, and, and they, they described how the girl was just like begging him. And I'm sorry if this is disturbing to a lot of people and I apologize if it is, but the, uh, they go into deep detail and they're explaining how this girl is like, hey listen, I won't tell anybody, please just let me live. And she's begging for a life and one of them is like, he's like, nah, you, she saw us, we have to kill her. So they end up killing her. These guys both end up, I think, on death row, right? The girl's parents were Christians and they adopted this guy as their son. So I'm watching the documentary and it's blowing my mind. I couldn't believe it. You know, I hear about stuff like this, but it, it was crazy to watch and see it actually happen. Like somebody really moving in that. And so as I'm watching it and they're showing them interacting, they're showing them coming to see him, they're walking with their hand around him. I'm watching their body language because I'm like, I think the mom is going to pull out a, a nail foul and go in his neck real quick. I, I'm like, I know she got some cuticle nippers or something. She's about to get my man. He's about to get it. And I'm thinking the pops is about to put him in a straight figure four out, and, you know, as soon as they get away from the guard or something, right? But they're walking. Like, I mean, they're in unity. They're sitting there having, they're laughing. They're like sitting there laughing together, right? And I'm staring at the guy's face. And I'm studying them, and I'm trying to like grasp how this is working out. This is my description I wrote of his face. It says, the killer's face was stuck between the bliss that comes with mercy and forgiveness and a sickly look as if he was ready to cry at any moment. Yet he looked confident about the love of his new parents, which seemed to crush him even more. You get what I'm saying? For lack of better words, we're just gonna call it the sanctification sandwich, all right? Like, <laughs> that's, the, that's the name of it, the sanctification sandwich. This dude was being crushed, and you could see it in his face, and he couldn't do nothing about it, but he knew he was loved. He was in full confidence of the fact that they loved him. He didn't look like he thought this was a game at all but he also looked like, man, like, like, like he just had tears loaded, ready to come out at any second because they are lavishing with this mercy and this grace and love that he does not deserve, right? That he doesn't deserve, but they're giving it to him. 
and they're walking it, right? They were walking it like they talk it. They were showing up. And he's like, what am I doing here? I'm supposed to be in death row, getting beat half to death for every day, but you're showing up with cupcakes and all of that. You know what I'm saying? You know, with sprinkles on it, the whole deal. Sandwiches, sanctification sandwiches. All right? So, so that's what we're getting into. That's what I mean when I tell you the subject of this is broad because when you look in the Bible and you actually search for the, what I'm saying is the topic here, this kind of idea of this sandwich, for lack of better words, it's all in the scripture. And it's such a beautiful thing. And the reason I want to preach on it is because it's something that I believe that our church really, really needs. I believe the American church really needs it, but I believe our church needs it because I believe that when you preach grace and you preach mercy, that the enemy can very easily come and trick you with what that looks like sometimes, right? Like he can, he can he'll play with you to, to pollute the liberty that God has given you, the freedom that he's given you to walk in. And so I don't want us to be deceived in what that is. I want us to walk in what the scriptures calls us, calls us to walk in. And so I think that we have to be aware of, um, we have to be aware of our sin nature. We have to be aware of how the Holy Spirit moves in the midst of that. And, 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 and I know a lot of us have, you know, come from hyper-religious settings, so we have a lot of just different deceptions about what that is. So we're going to get into this sandwich, all right? See if we get some mayo on this thing, all right? I'm just playing. All right, so let's go to Luke 7, 36 through 48. It's just an example of the sandwich right here. All right, so 36 says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with them. So Jesus went to his house and sat down to eat. When a certain moral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with an expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would, not, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner, right? So we see right there, there's these two attitudes there. He has kind of this nonchalant demeanor towards God. There's no fear there at all. He's judging God or whatever. He's like, man, if he's really a prophet, then, you know, he'd be able to peep the game. And then you have this other lady who is actually, she doesn't give a care about who's watching. She is lavishing God with her worship and her praise, right? So let's see why is that? Let's, let's, let's go through this a little bit, right? And so 40 says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. He said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. Did y'all see that? Saw the sandwich? Y'all didn't see the sandwich, did you? you? He pulled out the bread and all that. You didn't see the sandwich. I'm gonna show you the sandwich, right? I'm serious. I'm gonna show you the sandwich. Rock with me, watch. He's putting them in this thing. So he, 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 he poses this idea of debt, right? 
Then he throws this idea of mercy, and then he asks the question, who do you think loves the most? You get it? So it's the debt, the, 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 the fact that this person owed this. Their, their sin, they're in their sin, right? And then, and then the Lord is giving mercy and grace to them and forgiving their sin, and he's using the concept of how do you think this is pushing out? What do you think the love, this process, this sanctification, what do you think that love is gonna come out at? Like wh whose love level do you think is more serious, right? So that's the, that's the sandwich right there. We see God is using it right, Jesus is using it in the Bible right here, right? And so the point here is not that this guy's sin was less than the lady's sin, it was that his perspective is twisted. He has this self-righteous view of himself, of himself, this perspective that he thinks he's actually a good God, right? Now God is about to hurt his feelings, right? It's about to bring reality to him real quick. All right. He said, that's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but, the first time I, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. And he says, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little, it's the sandwich, shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. So they're having dinner. Simon is judging this woman, and Simon had already sinned three times, and they haven't even got to the appetizer yet. <laughs> right? Three times. He's not even doing common courtesies. He's extra disrespectful. He has no humility before God. He's not even aware of who's he, who he's in front of, right? He's too stuck on himself. We get like that sometimes, right? But God takes this opportunity and he humiliates his self-righteousness. He, he, humili he, he literally, right in front of, he breaks down his self-righteousness in front of everybody, right? We have this condition in America really, really, really bad, and I think it's one of the things that is the big wall between the church and between many of the lost, but it's this wall of self-righteousness, right? We're trying to do this whole moral thing, act like we're cute, like we got together, even though God is inviting us to walk, like, like to walk in the light. We're desperate for him, right? Preach this gospel because I need it really, really bad. You understand what I'm saying? Not because I got it together, because I need it. I thirst for it. My man doesn't feel like he needs it too much, and that's kind of what God is revealing and pulling out right here. He's trying to help him see, right? I have a quick joke. I know we're in the middle of some serious stuff, whatever. But it's such a good joke, I think the Lord would actually I'll be okay with it. All right? I kind of stole it from my old pastor a little bit, whatever. So, so Jesus was standing in front of the Pharisee or whatever, and, um, and uh, <laughs> he held up two fingers, and he was like, yo, man, he's like, yo, how many fingers I got to hold up? How many fingers I'm holding up? And then the guy was like, 
Lord, I can't, I can't really see him. And Jesus was like, what do you mean you can't see him? He's like, I don't see well. He's like, fair, I see. <laughs> and, then, and then Jesus was like, that's sad, you see. All right, that's it. That's it. That's it. Don't bring money up on the stage. I don't want it. I don't want it. All right? All right. Okay. All right. I'm just playing. I had to do that. I'm sorry. All right. Back to business. All right. All right. But God humiliates his self-righteousness, right? He does this to us often, right? Um, there's something else I want to look at. Um, Daniel 4, 28 through 37. This is that... Uh, this is, the, uh, this is the humiliation times 100 right here, right? All right, so Daniel 4, 28 through 37 says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Let me just give you a backdrop on this right here. So Daniel is there. Um, he's in Babylon with King Nebuchadnezzar. He's actually been there with King Nebuchadnezzar 40 years, right? Um, Nebuchadnezzar's having all of these dreams. Daniel is so on point or whatever. I mean, he's seen so much happen. He's seen, Nebuchadnezzar has seen God's hand move crazy, doing miracles, right? Still hard-hearted, right? 40 years later, he's still acting up, acting crazy. Daniel, a year before, just warned him, like, bro, if you do not get your act right, God is going to have you running through these woods like Teen Wolf out here, all right? So you need to get straight and stop playing around, all right? So let's read. So all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? This sounds like us, prideful, arrogant, deceived, postured as winners. We are doing our thing. This is the deception, right? So here comes the humiliation. It says, while, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom, to whom he will." Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird claws. So we got an episode, episode of Twilight on our hands, all right? He's out there running through the woods, all right? And then it says, at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. And he says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, or say to him, what have you done? 36, at the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Forty years, Daniel ministered before him 
and prophesied of God, right? And then God comes and humiliates his self-righteousness, his false view of himself, right? Brings him low, right? Brings him, I don't even know what you even call that. Bring, he turned him into a werewolf, all right? That's all I know to say, all right? So he turns him into a werewolf, and then he, he restores him. Like, and then you hear the declaration out of Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, how he gives glory to God, right? When he comes back, he has a broken and a contrite heart because he's like, Lord, you're the most high. He says he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand and none say to him, what have you done? He's saying, Lord, you're the boss. You do whatever you want to. You point and I go, right? He says, who, who comes and questions God? Who does that? God, you lay it out. You're, you're, you're king, right? You're the king and I'm at your disposal to do whatever you have me to do. He's having a moment. He's caught in the sandwich. All right? He just got done from hitting the lowest point. He can taste what it feels like to be broken, but he can also taste very well what it feels like to be overwhelmed by the love of God. You get what I'm saying there? And it's now, it's changed his life. The stakes are high for us forgetting our sin condition and our desperate need for a savior. It is so important for us to be able to see ourselves, like for us to be able to see ourselves as we are. We are in bad shape when we get deceived and we start thinking we are cute and we lose the understanding of our depravity, right? Um, I don't know if it, have any of y'all seen the movie Noah? Throw your hands in there if you've seen it. Y'all seen that movie? Some people got a little beef with it, but anyway, I watched, you know, I saw the movie and one of the things that really caught me about it was, um, you know, Noah, you know, they tried to stick to the script a little bit, but they kind of did what they wanted to with it. But for the most part, they kind of followed some of the, um, you know, story and whatnot. But there's a part where Noah's like, you know, he's like, man, this flood is going to come um, and, and, and God is going to basically start the earth brand new. And he's like, you know, we're going to be the ones that start that are going to start it because we're the last righteous people or whatever. Right. And the rest of everybody else is sinners. And then um, and so there's some villages far off or whatever. And it's just utter wi wickedness going on there. It's just straight up just a massacre going on and murder and death and everything you can think of is going on. So there's this one part in the movie where Noah goes to sneak into the city. Right. And he's going into the city and stuff or whatever. And he's trying to creep through and lay low. And he sees like he's just kind of in awe at the wickedness. And he, see, he sees this guy kind of sliver through all the crazy stuff. But then the guy turns and looks at him and it's him. Right. And he's like, oh, my God. So the way the narrative on the movie goes, when he goes back to his wife, he's like, he's like, man, he's like, what's in those people is inside of us. He, so he, he up until this point, he had this false sense of kind of self-righteousness, and then he saw himself. He was like, whoa, I'm, I'm actually messed up just like them, right? So he saw his depravity in the movie. Um, when I talk about this sandwich, like, this is the ongoing part of the process for you as a believer. 
And, and, and I'm going to get into it deeper, but the reason why I think we need to know this is because if you're unaware of it, it starts breaking you in the wrong way. It starts breaking you in the sense of, I mean, I can't tell you how many phone calls I get from people and they're like, I don't think this walking with God thing is for me. Like, I can't do it. And I'm like, well, what are you trying to do? And they're like, I'm trying to keep all the rules and stay pure and stay clean. I'm like, well, you're already messing up already because you think it's on you to actually go out and facilitate you staying pure outside of the fullness of God doing that. You understand? There's a difference between... There's a difference between you looking at the law and trying to steam to, through the rules, esteem to the rules and keep them, than there is from the Spirit of God overflowing inside of you and producing fruit, right? And so that's what we're talking about here. Like, how does that actually, we hear these kind of phrases all the time, and that's what I'm trying to unpack here so we can get to it so we won't be in confusion and just be left to our own assumptions like what that actually is or whatever, right? So your maturity will only come through this process. So let me tell you what the Bible says about us. Jeremiah 17.9, this is not gonna be on the screen. Jeremiah 17.9 describes the heart as deceitful above all things and desperately sick. That's our heart. That's what it says about us. In Genesis 8, verse 20, it says this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some, some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Right? So... We're spending a lot of time and we're, 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 we're fighting against something that actually is a part of us. And we need to know that it's actually a part of us and, and whatnot. And that may be scary to some of us, but I'm going to take us there in a second. Um, let me read Romans 7, 14 through 25, right? See if we can break this down a little bit more. So Romans 7, 14 through, through 25 says this. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. This is Paul talking. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who, who, who do it, but, but sin that dwells within me. Paul is going crazy right here, all right? <laughs> keep on, we're going to keep on rolling with it, and we're going to try to break it down. And in verse 21, he says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive of the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. All right. If you're tracking through all of that, you, that's pretty amazing. Let me just backtrack real quick. First of all, let me read 14 through 16 again. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
here's the thing. The, let me explain to you why the law is spiritual. The law is spiritual because every time we sin, we prove it to be spiritual. We prove it to actually be perfect in the sense that it is the law of God, right? And so sometimes we have grief and we have beef towards the law because like, yo, we're like, yo, we're saved by grace, we're not saved by law. And that is a, that is a true statement because the law cannot produce justification for you, right? It can't produce it for you. Like, it is not gonna produce fruit. It's meant for you to run up on it, boom, fail and fall. And it proves the word of God to be right. It proves his law to be holy. It proves his law to be pure. It is spiritual. Y'all got that? It is a part of the process. So that is what the law is. It is spiritual, it is good. So let's make sure we understand that, right? It's a part of, it's, it's a piece in the sandwich. Like when I was telling you about the brokenness, the thing that's gonna keep you broken in this ongoing process of sanctification is that you're gonna constantly be getting hit by the law and you're gonna stumble over and you're gonna trip over it. And that is gonna be met with mercy and it's gonna be met with grace on top of that, right? And that is what's gonna be producing the fruit. So Paul is gonna describe this. We're gonna keep on reading, right? In verse 18, Paul says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Paul, is, he's wide awake. He's fully aware of his broken state, right? He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So if you have flesh on you right now, you got some junk going on, right? You got some mess going on. There's that, that the flesh does not produce good fruit to the Lord. It just simply doesn't, okay? And he says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So Paul is making, he, he's admitting that he's fully aware, okay? And then... In 24 and 25, he ends this and he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be, to, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, I, I myself serve, the lo, serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This right here is so tricky to, 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 to try to grasp what that actually means or whatever. And I think we usually back away from the scriptures and it's hard for me to preach, it really is, but I just really think we need it and I want us to, I just wanna dig into it as much as I can. What that is actually saying is, first in verse 24 he's making the admission that he's saying that um, I'm wretched. There's awareness that he is wretched, right? And then he says, who will deliver me from the body of death? That's that broken part that we move around with, where we're constantly becoming conscious of ourselves, we're hitting the law. And then he goes to the other far end of the spectrum and says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So he's saying, thank you Lord, that you have given me your spirit, which is waging war against my fleshly desires, right? So there's a battle going on there. There's like this dual thing going on. But we usually in kind of our self-righteousness kind of cast off this idea. What we usually do is we do this thing where it's like, oh my God, I'm gonna handle my sin myself. I'm absolutely failing at this. Let me back into the darkness a little bit and kind of hide from everybody with it, right? 
and just put on my happy face and pretend like I got this together. And Paul is not doing that. He's completely straight up with it like, I'm made of flesh. I have a nature to sin. I'm not dancing around that idea. That is the case. But I also have the spirit of God through Jesus Christ on the cross, right? Which was delivered to me. And it is holy and pure and it desires to glorify God. So I got a fight on my hands, right? So how does it look like to, 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 to let the Lord lead in this fight? So Galatians 5, 16 through 26. It says, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All of these phrases, like I've read a million times, they sound so cute. But like when, I be, when I'm honest about it, I'm like, what does that really, really mean? What does it really mean when it says that? How do I actually apply that to my life? So we're going we're gonna to try to figure that out here, right? But when it says, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is, there is an implication that there for you to work with the spirit, right? Like we're not saved by works, but there is this harmony that happens where the spirit is leading us and we work with it, right? I'll give you an example. Like my son Zulu, I cut his hair all the time and homie doesn't want to work with me when I cut his hair, right? And so if you check him out, you'll notice that like his whole hairline in the front kind of goes, you know, because I'm working his head, turning it that way, trying to, he's the other way, you know, he's trying to get to watch the cartoons. And so now it's just slanted. He thinks it's bangs or something. He just kind of throws it back and whips it. I'm like, because it's just kind of lean. He's like, man, let me flip my hair back and forth real quick. I'm like, all right. But he's not working with me, okay? All right, so, but it says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. You hear that? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those things, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. All right. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So the war that we are experiencing all the time inside of our mind, the thing that is constantly going on, it's in the scriptures. It's natural that we're going through that, right? Do you all understand what I'm talking about when I say this war? This thing, right? This thing that, like, like, like men, when you want to love your wife, the enemy wants to pollute what that is, right? He wants to put other imaginations, maybe of other women or anything else or whatever, and maybe you don't act of them, but it's like, what the heck is that? Can I just love her like I want to love her? Well, the Spirit of God in you wants to love her, but your flesh is wicked, right? This happens in so, this, this, is, all over, this is all over the place. 
we're schizo at this. We just heard the previous scripture. Paul was like, man, I want to do the sin, but I don't like sin, but I love it, man. But you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I just want to walk and glorify God. But you know what I'm saying? Hey, holler at me where the party at. But anyway, back to, I'm like, bro, which one are we going to do? Which one are we going to do? But he ends up at, but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. There's, how can we find peace in the midst of this mess? And how do we live it out? What does it really look like? All right? So, I hope this explains to you why you're half crazy. If you're wondering why, you know, whatever. If you're wondering why you're half crazy, this is why you're half crazy right here, right? But look at this right here. On verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Oh, boy. Like the things that you want to do. Like, we don't usually say it like that. We distance ourselves from, like, nah, you know, this and that, but, like, no, it's in us. Like, I just, let me run through the buffet real quick of sins. We can play cute in here if we want to, but you got something on here. Just stay quiet. We won't point you out. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealous, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I hope I kept a straight face when I, when I hit the things that I like. I just tried to just, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm saved and sanctified. I don't know what you're talking about. But he just told us the things that we want to do. We got something on that buffet right there. But Paul is leaning into it. Like the American posture is usually to not lean into it, it's to lean back away from it, right? But Paul is leaning into it and he's making a sandwich with it, right? He's leaning into it, he's, he's not hiding from it, he's not acting like it doesn't exist. He's not trying to just deal with it alone. He's actually letting the love of God hit this thing, right? And he's putting faith and trusting in the process, right? Because God has a process. He's the king. He brought us in and he saved us by his grace. He has a plan. And so I'm not done with this particular text, but I just want to stop to say this. Like, I, I talk to people all the time and they're like, man, I feel like I'm just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. I'm doing things that I can't believe I'm doing. I'm doing things that I thought I was actually past and through with. Thought I was better than this, right? And all the while they're saying it, the devil just got his hand around their shoulder like, yeah, man, you, you don't belong here. You're not like all them people. They're all good. And that's not the truth. We're not all good, right? We're not all good. And the fact of the matter, this struggle that you're going through is actually natural. You're just missing some things in the process. You're missing the understanding of God, how God uses that for his glory and to actually push you through this process. He uses that by letting it break you and by letting it smash against his mercy, his grace, and his love, right? It's foolishness for us to think that he would come get us while we were sinners and then not have a process in place for our sanctification. Right? Nobody believes the idea that you get saved and all of a sudden you're perfect. I don't think anybody in this room is foolish enough to believe that. But we are foolish 
in the way we think sometimes. I am, a lot of us are, in the way that we think that we don't trust God. We don't trust him. This, is all, this all happens through faith. Let me show you how, how, why it's faith that has to do this. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, right? Let me jump past that. You, when we read this list and this buffet of stuff, right? When we list, read this list, the first thing, our jerk knee reaction is that we are like, whoa. Some of us are probably secretly in here like, Dag, I have some crap on that list I'm kind of messing with. And you're already in your head working up a plan to actually, to start dealing with it, right? You're already in your head like, okay, I got, I got to get straightened out. If you think that you can straighten it out, the way you're going to straighten it out is you're going to now go face to face with the law and try to work it out. You're going you're gonna, to, without the participation of the Holy Spirit, you're going to turn towards the law. You're going to go like, oh, my God, I'm doing some of those things. I got to get myself together. And you're going to begin to actually try to work. And it's going to crush you. And you're going to end up in a further place. And you're not going to actually get there. But what it looks like when you, when, when you, when you if, if you believe the Lord and you and by faith you believe in what he is doing and that he has you then you submit yourself to the process and you submit yourself to the process through repentance by walking in the light right by walking in the light by 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 bringing it to God and let, let me show you this in the scripture real quick Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, right? Says, and you were dead in the trespasses of your sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated and, and seated us in, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith, for by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? So it is like, it's like God is inviting us to come out and, and dance with him, right? Like he's actually in the light. He says that he'll, he'll, he'll give, he'll, he gives grace to the humble, right? 
He gives grace to the humble. People who hide their sins or whatever, they don't get grace. He says he has no part because they, they're walking in the darkness and he can't, he's like, I, I want to help you, but you're hiding from me. Right? So he's inviting us. So what I'm trying to break down to you is that this process, what's missing, when we read this list and the process is to go to the Lord, excuse me, go to the law and try to start figuring this out and doing it on our own and getting crushed some more, like in a bad way, the process is to actually walk out in the light before God and expose ourselves. It's to say, Lord, I'm guilty of this right here. It's to say, Father, Lord, I am, I actually, my flesh craves this. And you still save me by your grace. Your mercy actually came to meet me at this place with this ugly thing that I'm actually dealing with. Does that make sense? Like, this is a vital part of what we are as a church community, this particular thing. Because this is the thing that so many young Christians get deceived by, even old Christians. We get to deceived by this particular process right here. We usually talk about, around these words and we skim over these phrases and we don't know what they really, really mean. And it's scary stuff because it's like, it's like sin and like get right and be obedient and everything else. And all it sounds like to us is like work, 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 measure up, measure up, measure up, measure up. But that's not what the Lord is saying. He's saying that I have grace for you if you'll step into the light, that I want to love you. I want, to, I want to wow you and, and put you in awe at how I meet your sin with love and mercy and grace. And of course that's the case if he died for us while we were, we were in our trespasses because we never ran after him in the first place, right? He came through and he snatched us up. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. I told y'all before, when I got saved, and man, when I went to the altar, I was praying with this guy, and I was like, man, I said, God, I said, I love drugs, I love women, I love all this dirt, and, 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 I'm, and I'm repenting for my sins, and nothing was really happening. But then something happened. The guy I was praying with, he, he, I don't know why he said this, but he starts telling me how he was an alcoholic. And I was an alcoholic. But I didn't want nobody to know I was alcoholic because I was too cool to be an alcoholic. Like, Jay don't get, no, nah, I don't get caught by the bottle. But I had got caught by the bottle bad, right? And so when he said that, I was up there and I'm sitting there and I'm repenting and everything else. But like, I'm, I'm not really feeling. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, you don't know. Brother, I'm messed up, Jack. Like, I don't know if this is going to do the trick. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go there, right? But when he told me that, it's like I could pull the bottle from behind the back and be like, dag. And I could come into the light with it. And it was like as soon as he said that and I came into the light, it's like God's mercy and his grace and his love, it just flooded in. And I knew that I was changed. I knew that I was changed. But I was holding something behind my back pocket. I was like, I, was like, I don't think this is too ugly. I, I, don't, I don't know if he can do something with this. You feel me? I was going to play the law game. I was going to work it out myself. I was like, I'll come up here and kind of skin and grin, say all the cute stuff, but this thing with this bottle, this thing I got going on, I'll work it out on my lonesome. I'll do it myself. I'll fix myself, right? That's, that's what we're getting caught in. That's what God does not want us to get caught in. He is inviting us into this thing where 
His mercy, his grace, and his love is overwhelming us and crushing our sin. So this thing where like you're walking around and you're like, crap, I've been doing the same crap for 30 years. The same sin, sneaking around, looking at porn, whatever it is, whatever it may be, God is bad. Like he's off the hook. He got, he, he got, he got an app for that. He has an app for that. Like, he got something for that. And so, I'm, I'm going to close with this, and, I, and, and I'm going to close with this, and I hope this brings it together for you. I'm trying to get us to be free from trying to do this on our own when we have such a great father, right? He don't run from nothing. He don't run from nothing, Period. God told you about earlier, he murdered these people's kids. God didn't sidestep them, he went straight head to head with it. He went straight head to head. He came out of his holy dwelling to save that guy. Humbled himself to the point of death to save that guy, a murderer. And he uses the victim's parents to do it. That's the God we serve? And we, we want to hide something? That's the enemy's tactic all day long. All day long. If you have to limp up, this is why I believe, you know, the scripture that I read earlier about, about the lady with the alabaster box, right? It's funny that how the scripture says, and her sins were many. Like he says it just like that. He says, and girlfriend's like, yeah, she, she's out there. She's doing the thing, all right? It doesn't play around about it, but it meets you head to head. It's jacked up. It's ugly. And I believe she knew how ugly it was. But man, it was pressing out a worship yeah. that we've been talking about throughout history since it happened. Her story has been given glory to God because of her contrite, broken heart that made her spew out this worship that is still echoing, echoing through the ages. Y'all get that? But she came in the light. Homie's too cute. Like, what's she doing here? Whatever, this and that. She's like, man, I don't got time for that. I am desperate, Jack. That's the king. I, I ain't missing this opportunity. All right? That's what God is calling us to. That's what this working of the spirit is looking to break us. We have to be broken. We have to be broken. It's not something you do yourself. You do it by inviting God in. That is the way the spirit works. You invite him in to the process. You do not step to the side and try to work it out through yourself. You do not look at the law and see if you can equate and get it together and be better or whatever and focus as much as you can. Okay, I'm going to fast for 30 days and I'm going to do this or whatever and I'm going to make this go away. You're not going to make it go away. But God will. He will catch you up so much, you won't even, you'll forget what you used to be caught up with. You will be in awe of him. But that is not going to look like you getting cuter. It's going to look like you getting more broken. It's going to look like you becoming more aware of how depraved you are. And it's going to make him look so beautiful to you. It's going to look so beautiful to you. I just want to, I want to end by reading Ephesians 2 one more time, because I just think it's a beautiful reminder for us. Um, it says, 
and you were dead in the trespasses of your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, nobody is, nobody is doing anything. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. This is his work. This is his goodness that we're, that's being put on us, right? It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you are his workmanship. By faith, you trust him to do the work. You, you let yourself go into the process, right? Into the process. You let his spirit do its work because you are a work of art for his glory, right? And he's faithful in accomplishing what he's doing. He's faithful. We have to lean into that. Like we have to lean into it that he is faithful. It's by faith. So when you have a sin that is besetting you so easily and it's like, what the heck? You still fall before the Lord and let it crush you that even in your disgusting mess, you are able to come before the Lord and even come into his presence. Right? Let that crush you. What kind of God is this? A holy God that allows this wretch to come before him and call him dad. Let that weigh on you. And then it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we, sh that we should walk in them. So we are able to walk in the light and find peace in Christ Jesus, even in the midst of our struggles, even though we have flesh that attacks us and attacks the very nature of God um, that his spirit brings to us but we do have a sinful nature and it is a part of the process and we need to be aware of it. We don't, our, 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 our work and our diligence is not in hiding, hiding that. It's not in um, neglecting that that is real. That is actually to our, to, our, to our detriment if we do that. God invites us to walk in the light with our sin and therefore he's faithful and he says, you'll find my grace. That's good news. All right. Let's pray.